In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook, get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is Selfless by Brian Lowry. Selfless, the social creation of you. And... Um, even in recent books, this theme has come up of what does it mean to have a sense of self? How accurate is it? How real is it? Is it, in a way, an exaggeration of something that might be real, but that might make us feel even more separate from one another when we're actually more interconnected than that sense of self might make us feel? So I was drawn to that topic because it's one I find very interesting and to hear Brian Lowry's perspective on it. And actually, in the book, I'll talk about Tonight, some of these themes come up as well. And so let's get into that book. So the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is All About Love by Bell Hooks. Um, All About Love, New Vision by Bell Hooks. Bell Hooks, uh, actually, maybe you've seen her name, and it's spelled all in lowercase letters. And she says she did that to emphasize or to put more emphasis on the substance of her writing as opposed to who she is or her name. And actually, it also was to honor her grandmother because she was born Gloria Jean Watkins, but she took the name or her pen name, Belle Hooks, to honor her grandmother, Belle Blair Hooks. And she wrote many books over the years. Um, Sadly, she passed away just recently in December of 2021. But I was had seen many people talk about this book, um, seen her speak before uh, online, never in person, sadly, but uh, was always fascinated by her perspective and her critique on things like capitalism and the patriarchy. And she's a really insightful critic of what a lot of what we see in the world in this book is very much that as well. And even this title, All About Love, which is a very accurate title because the book is about love. I um, love that, pun intended, because she's taking love very seriously. And in a way, I think that's a, a theme early in the book is that we sometimes think we shouldn't talk about love or that love is something, uh, you know, for poets to talk about or write about, but not something scientific or not something that we take seriously. And I think that's not the case at all. And actually, we should uh, really take it very seriously and to understand it better and to even learn how to do it better, to love better. Uh, She talks about Eric Fromm and his book, The Art of Loving, which is still one of my favorite books of all time. Um, And that this theme that we sometimes think that, well, we should just know how to love or it's just easy to love because it's natural to being human. The desire to connect is, I think, natural, but the um, being good at loving or being a loving person or creating a loving relationship, I don't think that's something that 
is natural, especially if we didn't experience healthy, loving relationships in our childhood. So just like desire to be a parent might be natural, but it doesn't mean we're good at parents without studying it and trying to understand the art of parenting. Similarly, the same thing can be said about love. Also, for me personally, as a psychologist, I remember in school we would you would see that often this word love is avoided, maybe in romantic love or in other forms. But looking at what a therapist does with the client, this word love, I think it's a very charged word because often for people when they hear love, they can think it only means romantic love or that it has a sexual connotation to it when it doesn't have to be that at all. Love can be uh, very far from that. It doesn't have to include anything like that. But because it's a professional relationship, I think the sense that you can call it love or include that word is something that people shy away from or think that it's actually inappropriate, not just even um, wrong, that it would be very, very immoral to do that. But actually, I think as a, a therapist, something you're doing is showing a particular type of love and creating a loving relationship. And I can feel it even as I'm saying it myself, feeling a bit uncomfortable with that phrasing. But I think that's very much what is happening. And I think uh, her critique and this idea in general that we live in a society that's afraid to talk about love, afraid to really embrace love, and afraid to make love the most important thing, which it actually is, uh, is unfortunate. And so I was very happy to read this book that was written over 20 years ago, but still very relevant to today. And so early in the book, she discusses how if we're going to really talk about love and try to understand it, well, one of the problems is that we are, are hard-pressed to come up with a definition of it, so we even know what we're talking about. As I said, often people think of love as either this intangible thing, she even quotes people who talk about it in that way, uh, and never really define it because they think it's hard or impossible to define. And I understand there's a sense of it's this emotional experience or has an emotional experience. It's not just that. That can be difficult to describe. And I'll go on to actually share how she says, as many others have, that we shouldn't just think of it as a feeling, but rather an action. But if we don't define it, then it makes it virtually impossible to talk about. And so the first chapter of the book is called Clarity, Give Love Words. So we need to have words to describe it. And so she says she was hard-pressed to find a good definition, but was relieved when she came across M. Scott Peck's definition, his classic self-help book, The Road Less Traveled, which I think going back now six years was one of the earlier books I did for the Books of the Week, because I'd read it many years ago, and like so many others, greatly enjoyed it. That book was written in 1978. But in, in this book, Bell Hooks shares his definition, which he says echoes the work of Eric Fromm, where he defines love, um, and Scott Peck defines it as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. The will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another, another spiritual growth. And he goes on later to say, love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. And so this definition is, is quite powerful. So the first part about extending oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another spiritual growth. So 
it says one's own, which means you can also love yourself and we should love ourselves. Um, also, that can sometimes be seen in a negative way. When you think of self-love, it seems like we're preoccupied with the self, narcissistic, selfish, or greedy, when it doesn't have to be any of those things to show that type of genuine care for yourself that is actually quite healthy and we need to have that. Um, but, of course, we can have that for someone else. There's their spiritual growth, and that, of course, in any def definition, you're going to have words itself that might be hard to describe within it. And what does that, does that mean exactly spiritual? To me, it means something larger than just their material self, uh, bigger than that. But also, as the definition goes on, love is as that love does. Love is an act of will. And this is very important because often love is described as just this feeling that you just, almost like you catch it. You can't control it. It just comes over you. And once you have it, it's just there. Even when we talk about falling in love, and she talks about that too, it has the sense of something completely out of your control, that you had no way of controlling it happening, which of course then implies the other side of it, that you can't control falling out of love. And so people think of love in this way, oh, I was feeling love, and then now I don't feel love, and so this is what I'm going to do based on that end or lead this relationship. But um, as he's just sharing this definition from M. Scott Peck, and Eric Fromm also talks about it, and many others share this insight that love is an action, not just a feeling. So you don't just feel love. Uh, you're choosing to love, and you commit to it. And actually, there's a whole chapter on commitment, and that also resonates with this theme, that love is not something where, oh, I kind of feel it now, so I'll do, I'll, I'll act this way because of that feeling, or if it's gone away, now I'll stop. There's a commitment to it. You choose to be loving and to continue to love. Um, I'll go over just some of the, the themes and chapters throughout this book. It's very insightful. It's very, you know, even though it's about love and there is a lot of poeticness to it and the beauty and the writing and the words, it's very serious and critical in its thinking and its examination of love itself and then love within our uh, current society. Although, as I said, written over 20 years ago, not much has changed, unfortunately, in some of these themes. Um, but she talks about justice and how that relates to love, and that without justice, there can't be love. So if we live in an unjust world, or if individuals are treated without justice, uh, th there can't be love there. She talks about honesty, and it, here she talked a good amount about how dishonest society can be and how we even teach children from a young age to be dishonest with their feelings. And then even in romantic love, how much deception can play a part. And you might think it should be a part of love, but that you can't have true love without honesty. As I mentioned, there's a commitment, and she has a whole chapter on that. Um, also, she talked about community, and I enjoyed this chapter where there was an emphasis. Uh, again, when we hear the word love, we often jump to and think the only manifestation of that is romantic love, when that's not the case at all, that having a sense of community um, is very important that we could love many people and have a loving relationship and loving relationships within a community. And it's important for us to have this sense of community, something that sadly in today's society, a capitalistic society, especially we have moved away from that. Actually, I've had some conversations in recent days about this theme, about how in um, some other cultures, some other countries, not in the United States, you have this sense of community that's always there. 
for better for, or for worse, you can't get away from them. You're always surrounded by them, very interconnected. But in the United States and in many other industrialized countries like the United States, we see this emphasis on production and work and this isolation that people then experience as, as a result of, of that, the, the, the disintegration of community. And I think it's a very unfortunate facet of the way life is today. And we see that effect. People experience, experiencing high levels of isolation, being apart from one another. Even I saw a report recently related to suicide and was saying that one of the contributing factors that people in the field think is um, very detrimental and leading to more suicides is this sense of isolation that people feel that they feel alone and that can contribute to suicidal thinking and then unfortunately taking suicidal acts. So she talked about community and also the importance of friendship. And that's something that at times I've discussed on the show because I realized how much we focus on dating and finding a partner, which is very important. And a lot of times people think that's the only thing that they should be investing their social energy into is, is trying to find a partner. And that is very important aspect of life, but we sometimes forget that our friendships also require effort, attention, and energy. They won't just stay strong and sustain themselves if we don't put effort into them, into building them, creating them, maintaining them. We need those friendships as well. Uh, there was a whole chapter on loss, loving into life and death, and uh, very deep insights in this chapter talking about our fear of of death in a way, even our fear of love, but how we are so afraid of death or about talking directly about it um, that it makes us not recognize the value of life and something that I think is such a powerful message related to this is that if we don't take our own death seriously and the reality of our own death seriously, we won't take our own life seriously enough because we won't recognize that it is something that is fleeting, that we are so lucky to get to experience for however long we get to experience it, but that each day is not guaranteed and we should value what we do have. We all tend to live in this type of fantasy, you know, something that I've recognized. If you ask someone if they're going to live forever, they'll say, of course not. They don't think that they're going to live forever. But there's, there's a way that we deny our own death so much that, in a sense, we do function in that way that we will have forever to do the next thing we want to do, to do a big project or change or to have a relationship or a family or whatever it might be. There's this way that we function thinking that we will have forever to live and forever to make those things happen. And because of that, we don't take the present moment importantly enough. Um, we don't value that this is the only moment that's guaranteed, the only moment that if we want to do something, we will be for sure be sure we can do it, uh, we take that for granted and sadly don't recognize the significance of that. So I really enjoyed her insights on this important theme and how we tend to think it's important to avoid thinking about death because that makes us sad or brings us down, when actually the opposite is true. If we embrace death fully and we actually recognize that if we live a life that we don't regret, we will be less likely to be afraid of death. I think we would all be much better off. And so, yeah, I mean, a book like this that's so filled with different insights, commentaries about, about society, I can only touch on 
some parts of it in a, a brief discussion about the book, but I highly recommend this book. As I mentioned, the things she talks about still very, very relevant today, although the book was written over 20 years ago. Um, so again, the book is all about love by Bell Hooks. I hope if you haven't read it already, you will read it. Let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In the first segment, I was talking about the book, All About Love by Bell Hooks. And uh, as much as I enjoyed so much about the book, one thing I also overall appreciated about her perspective was that it was a realistic approach and discussion about love. Um, another thing about love is sometimes we can turn into this fairy tale type of thing and feeling, again, focusing on it just as a feeling, where once you find love, everything is perfect and easy, and you just have to find the right person to love or get into that right relationship, and it's happily ever after going forward. And that's something I really appreciated. And The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm, where early in the book, he talks about these myths that we have about love, that love is about, and if you look at romantic love, specifically about finding the right object to love, the right person to love and then after that it's going to be easy and even that's how you see most people dating that's often the focus like i have to find this right person and if i write find that right person that's it the rest of life is going to be easy because i I have my true love and that's all that that matters um and he says that's not the case at all that of course uh, i would say this part is important to find someone very compatible with you and that you get along with so you can't just fall and be in love with anyone but what's so important is that we often neglect how we ourselves are going to be as a partner or that's where the art of loving is that we're developing our own capacity to be a loving partner to be in a loving relationship and to create that and it's not just about finding our prince or princess charming it's about focusing on ourselves as, as well and who we are and what we will bring to the the relationship but in this book, uh, All About Love, Bell Hooks, also in sharing that same type of light, um, doesn't make it seem like when you love in this way that she talks about or, you know, making love this beautiful thing that it is, then you're going to have this really easy and good life with your partner or whatever relationships we're talking about. So she shares how there will be struggles, there will be conflict, you will upset each other. Or even in family relationships, she talks about in a more functional relation or family, it doesn't mean there aren't conflicts or issues that come up. It's just that they're able to communicate about them and to resolve them more easily or to be able to have the possibility to resolve them. Because what we see in most families is that there isn't this space for resolution. And that's something I would say about most relationships, that um, things happen and things go bad. But the hope for reconciliation, resolution is not there. And sadly, that leads to people um, holding on to resentment or anger because they might not bring something up after something is initially uh, addressed or becomes an argument. Or they might think, well, this can't be my right relationship because if I'm not feeling good or my partner is hurting me or making me feel hurt in this way, then this can't be true love because true love was supposed to be that happily ever after that I was promised. So I think it's so important to have a realistic understanding that love is beautiful and having a loving relationship 
is the most beautiful thing we can experience. But that doesn't mean that because of that, it's going to be smooth sailing and easy going forward. Um, she also shared about uh, forgiveness and how important that is in the book, which we have to acknowledge. Again, there's going to be things that come up. There's going to be things that whoever we love does um, that will hurt us. And if we are not ready to be in that reconciliation process and to forgive our partner once we feel ready to and once we work through it to get to that point, there is no hope for that relationship to, to continue to be strong and to uh, be healthy and happy. And now going, um, she talked about forgiveness in the book, and now I want to switch in that topic uh, about apologies. And this is something, um, I think a very important topic, one that we overlook or can bring up a lot of different feelings for people. So, you know, some people think, well, I, I think there is a well-known quote about something that love, true love is never having to say I'm sorry. And I understand a theme of that, which is that if you understand me or you know me and you know I love you, and if I do something that even hurt you or upset you, you would understand that it's probably coming from a good place or a loving place because I don't have any bad intentions towards you. So I can understand some aspect of that in a more, to me, it's more of an abstract sense. Because I think realistically, just in real life and two human beings, as imperfect human beings, and even if we feel our partner loves us, we still will have some concerns and things come up, or we still are going to have our own issues, insecurities, whatever it might be that makes it, I think, realistic to think that we will be upset or hurt at times by our partner. I think we have to be ready to embrace that saying sorry and then working through apologies and getting to forgiveness and resolution is going to be a very real part of any healthy relationship. And so some people have a hard time saying sorry. Most people do because when we say we are sorry, we feel that we're acknowledging not just wrongdoing, but for many people it can mean I am bad or I am wrong in a deeper sense. Uh, so if we have this shame associated with being wrong or this self-image that I'm never wrong or I can't tolerate being wrong, it's going to sadly make it harder for us to apologize and to acknowledge when we might have hurt our partner. So as anything goes, we have to first look at what's our intention, even if we are saying sorry. Because uh, I think there's a huge difference between apologizing because we genuinely feel bad and want to acknowledge how we've hurt the other person or just trying to get forgiveness so we are now off the hook. So that first one is about the other person. I, I feel I hurt you. I want to make sure you're okay and about the relationship. But the second one is just about me. I want to just make sure you forgive me so I don't feel have to feel bad anymore and I'm not in trouble anymore and I'm off the hook. And you feel this in how people say sorry, or most of the sorries we get, especially in a um, shorter term context, you know, someone does something like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, right? Oh, you know. So you could feel there's a sense of, I just want to be okay with you. I want you to not be mad at me anymore. Let's just get over this. And so to me, that's a very a disingenuous apology. Now, sometimes it's maybe for something minor, but nonetheless, an apology done that way, where the intention really we see is just about resolving it in a quick way, not an actual way, in making sure we're no longer in trouble or 
have to feel bad. That's not a genuine apology. So we have to first think, what is my intention here? Am I just saying sorry to be okay and to feel like I don't have to be sad or upset or they're not upset with me? Or am I genuinely trying to express something to that person? Now, I've read many, I've read books on apologies, articles on apologies, and I've done segments over these well, close to 10 years now of doing the show on apologies because I do think it's very important. Uh, you know, I've worked with so many couples, families, especially the parent-child relationship where I could see that, uh, again, it has to be genuine, but if there are some apologies that are said and acknowledgments for the past pains that have been committed from their actions, it could lead to a lot of healing for that person that has been hurt and um, a, a resolution for that relationship to get stronger, that there's something in between those two people. But once if things are resolved, there can be a opportunity for closeness because of that. So I think it's a very important topic. And an analogy I like when I look at apologies is that when we get an apology, it's like having stitches that will heal a wound. It can make it much more likely that it will heal uh, quickly and also in a way that won't leave a scar. Whereas healing is possible without those stitches, that it might be a lot more messy, might leave a scar, and it'll be, um, take a lot longer to get to that healing place. Because when I'm in uh, therapy with a client, oftentimes we're talking about things that have happened to them with people that are either uh, no longer alive or that they can't have those kind of conversations with. And so we're trying to heal some past wounds without the acknowledgement of that individual that hurt them. And I see how that is much harder to do than when you actually get that acknowledgement from that person and that apology from that person that you feel has hurt you. And so, as I was saying, I, you know, looked into this topic a bit because I think it is an important one. And I realized that even when I've discussed apologies before at times, I've done some of the things that I generally don't like, which is here are the four things that go in a genuine apology um, or the five things, or, you know, this is how you have to say sorry, or this is how, um, you know, you know, you've given a good apology. And I think there are some values and themes and principles to keep in mind. As I was saying, for example, the intention is so important and to make sure you're mindful of that if you're going to make an apology. But I also have come to see how, like so many things, um, people can be different in what feels important and genuine to them. Uh, so not everyone uh, is going to need you to say certain parts of an apology. For some people, some parts might be more important. There's a, a book called The Five Languages of Apology. I forgot what it's called, but it's by the same author, The Five Love Languages. And I think that one talks about how people will have different preferences of what aspects of an apology are important for them. But I think it's important to keep in mind there isn't one textbook way of apologizing. And that can make it harder, but also it makes it more genuine that when you're communicating with someone, we shouldn't think that if I hit these four points, my apology is going to be perfect and the person is going to be happy with me and then all will be forgiven and we move on. That, that's not how it's going to work. And so we do have to realize that uh, to each individual, different parts of an apology might be more important. And so there are some general themes that come up when we're apologizing that I will touch on. But I think it's important to keep in mind not to think that, well, if I hit all of these themes, uh, the person can't be mad afterwards, which is something I'll also talk about before we wrap this segment up. So 
to begin with, there generally needs to be some acknowledgement of your wrongdoing. And that isn't usually going to be needed to even start this process. How, what are you even saying? You're saying, I'm sorry for something I did. And what's important in this part of it is to focus on your actions and taking responsibility for your actions. Because often people say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry I said that thing, but it was because you said this thing first or you did that. And so if we're doing that, we're trying to take the the responsibility off of ourselves. I did this thing. I wasn't wrong, though, because you did this thing or someone else did this thing. So if we can, we want to stay with taking responsibility with our actions. That usually is a very important part. Now, there are other elements to it that I'll get into. As I said, not everyone will want all of these, and there are, this is not going to be a comprehensive list where there's nothing else, but some important ones to keep in mind. Um, one is at times for people, it can be important to acknowledge their feelings, which especially if they expressed it, then you want to repeat that back because you want to be careful not to tell someone how they're feeling or assume we know. You might even want to ask them, but you might say, okay, I can understand how uh, I hurt your feelings when I said this or I made you upset when I did that thing. Um, that could be important to acknowledge their feelings or the way that you hurt them. That could be very important because that's what you're apologizing for is you feel bad that you did something, said something, whatever it was that was hurtful to that person you care about. So you want to make sure you mention that part. For some people, what's also important is some sense of trying to make things right. Okay, well, now that I did this thing, if it's possible, how will I make it right? I was late last time, um, you know, and so this time I will, and, you know, this part also includes change behavior. I'll make sure to be on time going forward, or if I am going to be late to do a better job of communicating with you. So some sense of resolution, of repairing what's happened, of trying to make this situation right. Sometimes that's not possible. Of course, if you were late, let's say tonight somewhere, you can't change being on time. Maybe you can stay extra or do something to try to make up for it. But sometimes we can't do anything to change what has happened but we can make a commitment to future behavior. And that feels genuine in the sense that if we're saying, I feel bad that I hurt you in this way, I don't want to do that anymore. And so because of that, I want to change my behavior that was hurtful to you. And that can be very important for many people to hear. So what's you know important is that there's some of these elements, there's probably other ones that I'm missing right now. But another thing to keep in mind when it comes to apology uh, apologies and, and getting to forgiveness and resolution. Going back to what I was saying before of this, you know, need your, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wanting the person, it's okay, or forgive you. Uh, we have to be ready that oftentimes starting from an apology and getting to forgiveness is going to be a process. So it's not that, okay, you're going to have this one conversation, you say this um, one perfect apology and everything is forgiven and done. And that's often what people think. Even you hear that in the language sometimes. People say, well, I said I'm sorry. Basically saying, how are you still mad or upset or how come you haven't forgiven me? I said the word sorry. Sometimes even without those things I was adding to it, just that word we think means, well, if I said sorry, you have to automatically forgive me and the, the situation is done. Not at all. Of course, it depends on what we're talking about, how strong the transgression was and how strong the person was hurt. But based on that, we should be ready for a process. For a few reasons. One is if someone was very hurt by what we did, it'll take some time for them to 
get to that place, if they do ever get there, that they were ready to forgive and to heal and to move forward. So we have to be ready to give them that time that they might need to, to deal with that. And so we should think of our apology not as a you know, final speech that ends this whole situation, but as an opening of this process of healing, of getting closer, of repairing something. And so we're opening that discussion. But not only is it that healing could take some time, which is very true, but also that, as I was saying, we, we sometimes need to have a conversation to even get to a clarification or a better place of what's going on. I might say, oh, I'm sorry because the thing I said made you feel like I didn't care about you. And you say, no, I, I'm sad that you said that because you had said that same thing before or some other reason. So we might not even fully understand what it is that they're upset about or why they're upset or what else is going on. And there might even space of explanation more of, you know, they might share things about themselves. You know, yeah, this is something I'm particularly sensitive to because this used to happen to me. And you might share from your side some things. And so hopefully it's more of an opening of discussion and discourse than for us to think this needs to be the final part of this. And so this comes back to this theme that comes up a lot with mental health in general that I discussed that we have to tolerate or be able to tolerate feeling bad and that feeling of tension, the feeling of things not being quite resolved, which if we don't or can't tolerate, it will be impossible for us to live a good life and also to create good relationships. So we have to be able to sit with this, okay, the person is still upset with me and I want to give them that space that they might still be upset. Or I want to allow the space to have this conversation, to go back and forth, to explain what I'm feeling and what they're feeling and what's going on to get to a better place. But if we can't tolerate it, that goes back to that feeling of that knee jerk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just tell me it's okay. So I can feel okay. That is not going to allow for that genuine process of apologizing, acknowledging, going back and forth and getting to a, a better place. And I think sadly, most people have not experienced healthy conflict resolution and they've not experienced healthy experiences of, apologies and acknowledgement and forgiveness and so we don't have a lot of practice of it just like uh, bell hooks discusses in all about love many of us have not really felt true love in, in a genuine sense and so we don't really know what that is or, or how to do it or what it would mean to do it and i think similarly we haven't had these healthy experiences of apology acknowledgement resolution forgiveness and all of those things that go with um, conflict as an inevitable part of any kind of relationship. And so we're not very experienced in it. And we're also afraid of having those conversations. But it's something we have to be willing to embrace and to face to have good, healthy relationships and to be able to resolve the inevitable issues that will come up in any relationship that we are in. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, as I mentioned, this great book, All About Love by Bell Hooks, is a very realistic look and approach to um, love. And one of the themes I wanted to end the show talking about is um, a concept that gets thrown around a lot. I've been thrown around a lot, and I've realized I have throughout my career, um, which is fear of intimacy. And it's an easy thing to say if someone is having a hard time committing or getting into serious relationships or, you know, not showing their true self in a relationship and say, oh, you have a fear of intimacy. And 
it's not wrong, but what I've realized is that this fear of intimacy is a human fear. It's not something that just some people have, but it's something that all of us have. Now, like other fears that we might all have as human beings, let's say height, some of us might be afraid of heights in a certain way, but some might be petrified of anything close to it, which might lead to a phobia. Some people might have a much stronger fear of intimacy than others, and that's something that they can try to understand and work through. But that having a fear of intimacy is in some ways understandable and maybe even natural. And I think what it does is there's a paradox when it comes to intimacy where we all desire it strongly and want that feeling that comes with emotional intimacy, but we are also afraid of the vulnerability and the way that it exposes us to, to risk to being hurt that comes with emotional intimacy. So when I say we have a natural fear of, of uh, emotional intimacy, it doesn't mean we should and we only have that fear. I think it is this paradoxical experience that we have, an, an ambivalence of sorts where we want it very much, but we're also afraid of it because it can be hurtful. And so that is very true. If we get emotionally close uh, to someone, um, it does create lots of different ways that we can get hurt. One is that that person can hurt us by either being, let's say, unfaithful in the relationship or saying or doing hurtful things to us within the relationship or just leaving the relationship in some way. And that's the other way that we can really get hurt or another major way is the relationship ending in some way from either a breakup of some sort or through death. That we get close to someone and as a, I was talking about earlier, death is a very real part of life that we can lose a, per, a person that we love due to that due to death. That could be very scary as well. So we understandably are afraid of those things that we can feel. And there's this way that as good as something can make us feel, it can equally make us hurt equally as much. So if someone can make us feel very good in a relationship, that person can also hurt us a lot. And so what a lot of people choose to do, and they think it's a very strong thing to do, is that, well, I won't get that close to anyone. And so if I never get that close to anyone, no one can hurt me that much. And this feels like a very strong position because now we feel invulnerable. We don't feel as exposed. But it's actually a very weak position in that we are underestimating our own resilience and our own ability to respond to being hurt. If we get hurt, we're, we're assuming that that's going to happen. And eventually we'll feel some pain in love or we do lose some relationships but we don't have to assume that pain and hurt is the only outcome. It can be one of the outcomes that we might experience. So we have to acknowledge this reality that, yes, we can get hurt. But if I do want to feel anything really good when it comes to relationships and relating to others, I have to be willing to accept this risk as well. And so this is this paradox that we all have to face, that we all have to overcome. Do I want to feel something good? Do I want to feel an incredible feeling in my relationship? And if so, then I have to be willing to accept the risk of being incredibly hurt by that same relationship as well. And I think sometimes people want to have the good without the bad. Even you hear this in the way people talk, well, 
you know, if someone says something mean to you, imagine it was in a different language. And I can, again, get this thinking as with a lot of these types of advice that people give or you hear in pop psychology. Just, you know, why would you take it in? Why would the opinions of other people matter to you? But generally speaking, if that same person were to hear that someone gave you a compliment, they wouldn't tell you, well, imagine it was in a different language or uh, why would you care what people think? They would say, that's beautiful. That's incredible. It's true. Taking the compliment, that's a very good thing. And so this shows our positivity bias that we all have, the sense that we prefer and want things that make us feel good and we want to go away from things that make us feel bad. And so we do lots of things to try to twist and turn to make that happen, that good words will make me feel good, bad words I won't feel the same. But to me, that's not possible, it's not realistic, and it's not genuine. If I'm going to allow the positive words from my loved one or friend or someone to make me feel good, I have to also accept that if they say something negative, it's going to make me feel bad. Often, so the lesson for many of us is to recognize we shouldn't get too swayed in either direction. So if someone gives us a compliment, it shouldn't take us on top of the world, because if it does, then if they give us an insult, it's also going to take us to the bottom of the world. We're going to feel the depths of hell and that same uh, opposite feeling of heaven we got when they gave us a compliment. So we learned that it's understandable to be impacted by what people say, and of course it depends on who they are, but we don't want to get too impacted by it, up or down. And that's a very important lesson, I think, for most of us to learn. But we can't say, okay, when people give me a compliment, I want to feel amazing. When they say something mean, I want to feel nothing. That, that's not going to work. So if we want to have a wonderful relationship, if we want to fall in love and have this incredible relationship and feeling that many people will describe when they imagine the romance that they're looking for, we have to be ready that we can equally be hurt very deeply by that same relationship. The, the more we feel in the good side, the more we're exposing ourselves to feel negatively. That's just the way that it goes. I, I see this a lot in the ways that we talk about breakups, that people will... I've heard so many people show off about how good they felt after a breakup or how they didn't cry or how they weren't sad after a breakup as a sign of their strength, as a sign of how powerful they are or how the other person was the weak one in the relationship because they cried or they were sad afterwards and all that. And to me, it's the exact opposite. If you tell me you were in a long-term relationship and you didn't get sad when it ended, now, let's say barring something where it was this very toxic relationship and you finally got your way out of it or found, found your way out of it. But let's say in a more um, typical relationship where it just didn't work out and the relationship ended. And if people show off about not feeling sad, to me, that's a very sad thing because it tells me something's going on that isn't quite healthy. One is you never let yourself feel in that relationship. So this goes back to that fear of intimacy that you might have been in that relationship but didn't put much of yourself in there as far as your emotions, your feelings, your heart into getting close to that person. So you never really felt that much. So when it ended, you didn't feel like you were losing much. You didn't really put a lot into it. So that's not a good sign. You're not investing much of yourself in your relationship, in a long-term relationship. The other possibility is that you are hurting a lot, but you're denying those feelings to yourself and the people around you because you don't want to seem weak or vulnerable or whatever things you assume it would mean to be sad. You are pretending like you're okay. 
when you're not feeling okay. So that's not a good sign either. That's not something that we want to strive towards. When we have a relational pain, just like if you have a physical pain, the understanding, understandable response is going to be to hurt. And because of that, to need time to heal. That's what we go through and that's what we experience. It doesn't mean that you are weak in any way. It means that you are human and it means that you are actually powerful enough to be vulnerable enough to let yourself get close, to get to feel good, to potentially feel even better, but then it ended and now you are feeling in pain. So I think it's good for everyone to think about their own level of that fear of intimacy. What comes up for you when you imagine being very close to someone? Does it make you just feel good? That can be good, although there also has to be some sense of the understanding of the hurt, not that we go away from it. Sometimes people can have a sense that it's impossible to hurt in love, which is not true. We have to be realistic about that side too. Or do you find yourself feeling scared, like you're stuck, you're trapped, or you're expecting that the other person is going to hurt you? For some people, when they think of getting close to someone, they might notice certain fears come up about, oh, you know, people are all bad, or they're all going to hurt you, or they're trying to use you in some way. And of course, if those are the feelings that come up for you, the thoughts that come up for you when you think of getting close to someone, of course, you're not going to choose to let yourself get close, whether you um, pick certain relationships or keep your relationships short or do whatever it is, you're going to try to maintain a distance between yourself and anyone else because it's too scary for you to get close. And so with that understanding, that could be helpful of where you are at and also trying to understand where that might come from. Again, this fear is natural, but not all of us will have it to the same degree. And if you find yourself very afraid to get close, that could mean that there have been pains in your early relationships where you would have felt that you could trust those people to love you and to make you feel good. And if that wasn't there and there were breaks in those relationships in a variety of ways or for different reasons, you're likely not going to feel safe to trust someone new, someone else. Um, the way I think it makes sense is to think, well, if my parents, let's say, if that's uh, those primary relationships we're talking about, if they didn't love me or make me feel good, why would I think some stranger or some new person is going to love me in this way? And we can understand that response. And unfortunately, that response could lead to someone closing up or closing off and not wanting to let themselves get close because of those early experiences. But that'd be a very sad thing to do to allow those early experiences of not experiencing that healthy love to make you think it's not possible. So just some things to think about. I'm looking at the time and seeing uh, it is time to wrap up. But I will again say this book, All About Love by Bell Hooks, a fantastic book. I hope you'll read it if you haven't already. But that brings us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Farhuda in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Zan Zendegi Azadi.